Hello everyone and welcome to another of Shared Ireland's podcast. Today we're delighted to be joined by a group called Our Future, Our Choice. And I would like to introduce Derry and Pierce. Welcome folks. Hello, thanks for having us. Guys, can you tell our listeners maybe a little bit about Our Future, Our Choice? Who's behind it and what I suppose the aims and objectives are of Our Future, Our Choice? Um, so Our Future, Our Choice is a group that was set up last year um, and basically it's a non-party affiliated cross-community youth group who are campaigning for a people's vote on the final deal of Brexit. So whatever way um, things go, we would like that the decision is put back to the people to have the final say on it. Um, so it's actually, it was founded last year with five young people. So it was myself, Pierce, and then another three kind of came together from different backgrounds in Northern Ireland. So I live on the border. Pierce does a lot of community work. One of our other co-founders did a lot of work with the Northern Ireland Youth Forum. And I think we all came together last year and said that Northern Irish young people really needed a voice. And from then, Pierce and I were actually saying earlier, we can't believe the amount of work that we've managed yeah. to do in a year. Is it, would I be right in thinking it's mainly youth-focused? No. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So we've done an awful lot of work over the last year that's been sort of going into schools and speaking to young people about what their thoughts and feelings are on it. And then we've gone to Westminster to lobby MPs. And when you say you've went into schools, what age group of school have you went into? Um, so even this morning, just before the podcast, <laughs> I was in my old school. So and um, is this a, a secondary school or a primary school? No, secondary school. Secondary school, not okay. Primary school. Yes, I was wondering there. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it'd be secondary school age. Um, and when we'd go in, the most engagement we'd get would be perhaps the 16, 17 year olds yeah. in the A-level students because they're more clued in, I suppose. Yeah. Or they're not afraid to ask as many questions. Uh-huh. Um, so this morning I went in and we were discussing brief introduction of our future, our choice, who we are, the backgrounds we all come from, what we've done, what we are doing. And then talked about the current affairs and current political situation with regards to Boris Johnson being the leader and how that's going to affect us and what he's done to, what, what has he done for Northern Ireland in regards to Brexit negotiations. So we would try to engage young people because although we are a group who's formed by young people um, advocating for people's vote in Brexit, a big part of our group is trying to get young people involved in politics to begin with, political participation is definitely something that we need to encourage and that's what we have been doing. And we've got the most to live with it, I suppose, so the young yeah. people need to have their say. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, folks, thanks for that introduction there and explaining who you are and what you are. And, um, has Brexit, or the Brexit campaign, highlighted in stark terms that the union in its current format is not an equal partnership, I suppose, that no matter what the result was here in the north, the final outcome would ultimately be determined by public opinion in England. Do you feel that's true? I think we've seen, obviously, you know, Northern Ireland voted to remain and that was 56% of people here said that they didn't want to leave the European Union and I think a lot of the sort of dialogue around that has been the UK are leaving and we are part of the UK and that is the way that the situation is now at the minute but I think a lot of people in Northern Ireland have felt underrepresented by the politicians that we have in Westminster because, you know, the DUP don't necessarily represent the views of everybody living here and we have one independent MP who's currently sitting. So I think a lot of people are feeling misrepresented. And then the fact that we don't have our own 
government sitting at the minute, I think a lot of people feel very underrepresented, particularly in the political institutions that we have now. And I think for a lot of people in Northern Ireland, that is not an equal partner and is at times, much like in the referendum in 2016, it's been completely forgotten. It wasn't mentioned and then you know, it came to negotiations and Northern Ireland became this massive stumbling block where in reality it's people's lives we're looking at here that are going to be really impacted by whatever decision is made in Westminster. Um, I wouldn't necessarily point the finger at England because in 2016 the referendum, it meant different things to different people depending on where you were. So obviously Northern Ireland um, voted to remain 56% because we thought about the issue of the border. Um, we, well, there was different reasons why we voted. We, we, we have did. a unique yeah. set of yeah. circumstances Scotland here. had their own circumstances, mm -hmm. but in England, the messaging they were having is completely different. So messaging was different for different regions. Mm -hmm. So although they voted to leave, people who voted to leave in Northern Ireland voted for a different reason, but people who voted to leave in England voted for a different reason. And that's the whole issue with Brexit at the minute, is that leave meant many different things to different people. And what we're seeing is trying to reconcile all of them promises or beliefs um, seems to be proven impossible. Um, England obviously are the main population in the UK and it's just the way the democracy seems to happen within Westminster. But again, what I'd say is more targeting, different messaging is the issue. And it would be wrong to point the finger at the, like, the regular man in England. In my view. Okay. Uh, I suppose your group, Our Future, Our Choice, has a youth focus particularly important given that it's argued they have the most to lose from Brexit in terms of work, study, travel, etc. What sort of impact do you see this having? Well, um, young people, although we do have the most to lose, but you know, you could die tomorrow, so who knows? <laughs> Fingers crossed, touch wood. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, we do... Young people, I felt like, feel more European than older generations would have because we only joined the EU in the 70s so I know I was born in 2000, I'm a millennium baby so always been in the European Union um, and we coincided with like the growth of social media so it's easy to get in contact and see what's going on around the world so there's always been this more interconnected feeling um, but with regards to young people and getting involved in politics I think Brexit was the biggest boot up the arse you could have had mm -hmm. um, the young people were very apathetic, but seeing what Trump and Brexit happened in the same year, mm -hmm. um, young people, that woke them up, and they are angry, and they've got this energy that needs harnessed, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to channel their views and their thoughts. Unfortunately, it did take something as disastrous as Brexit to have done that, mm -hmm. but at least they've listened to my message, and at least they're getting up and they're being active. Yeah, and I think even they're getting up and they're being active because they do know, like Pierce and I, there's what five, six years between us in difference of age and like we always laugh and say like say for instance when I was studying in university there was never any question over an Erasmus programme mm -hmm. and that was so many people I, I knew were able to get up and say I'm going to go and work in one of another 27 other countries and like it's an, that's amazing of course and it is now there's the question mark hanging over that as to whether or not Pierce is going into uni yeah. this year is going to be able to go and do that so it's the uncertainty yeah yes. but it's like looking and then even like say for instance holidays and I know that's obviously a, a menial thing maybe to a lot of people but you, you mentioned the Erasmus program there just to explain to anybody that maybe isn't just familiar with it it's to have the ability to be able to go and study yeah. in any of the 27 member yeah. EU countries and, and that is 
in serious doubt at the minute whether our youth will have that ability to do so. Well, I'll tell you, right now I'm doing my driving lessons at the minute. Not very well, but see that qualification. <laughs> if I get my driving lessons and after no deal Brexit, who knows if that qualification would be applicable if I want to drive down south? Is yeah. the regulations up to this standard? Or can I only drive within Northern Ireland in the UK? And I just seen last week there, um, living on social media, as I'm sure we all do nowadays, is that um, any non-EU country which will be obviously uh, the North is going to be deemed that, um, will have to display a GB sticker while driving in one of um, the European countries, which will obviously mean if you, I or anyone living in Tyrone, Fermanagh, Antrim, wherever, if we want to visit our in-laws or outlaws <laughs> in Donegal, we will have to al allegedly put on one of these GB stickers in our cars. How do you see that rule being? I mean, I come from South Armagh having spoken to a lot of people when that news broke last week, it was not taken Yeah, I can imagine. Let me tell you. Um, but like, I think a lot of people actually, and I find it really funny, like those friends of my daddy's were saying that they were going to make obnoxiously large GB stickers and cover the whole back of the car <laughs> or really minuscule ones. And I was like, there is a really nice sense of humour around that in Northern Ireland. But I know there's a lot of people who won't do that. And why would you if you live in Cross McGlen and you're going to Dundalk? I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. It is, it is. And, and even the insurance companies now, you, you have to have a, what is the green card green or something card, like yeah. that. You know, and, and again, it's the unknown, I think, that yeah. is the main frustration, I suppose, of people. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, one of the criticisms of the Brexit vote was that the younger generation did not get out and vote. Has this been a big lesson in terms of the importance of one's vote? Um, I think, yes, I think the young people have realised that, or the ones who didn't go out and vote, and we always try and promote people to vote. Um, the ones who didn't go out and vote now know that they are sort of complicit at what's happened. Um, I know a lot of my friends who are older than me are beating themselves up for not using the vote, but if we're going to sympathise them for with them for a second, um, in 2016, before the referendum, I had no clue about politics whatsoever, so if I was 18, I probably wouldn't have voted or used my vote. And Everyone was saying we're going to remain. Everyone was saying there was no doubt that leave was going to happen, mm -hmm. uh, or like people didn't think leave was going to happen. So if it was for certain that we were going to remain, and I'm not that into politics, why would you go waste your vote, or why would you go and vote? Um, now, now that that has happened, and those who used their vote um, and voted leave, I've got what they have won. Um, people realise that even though leave was like in the minority, like the odds were against leave, although everyone went out and used their vote, it shows that odds don't necessarily matter, as long as you go out and use your vote, make sure you use it. Um, and I think now loads of young people have realised that the only way they can have their voice heard realistically is to use their vote. And that's actually always one thing that we, the only positive really that we can see coming out of Brexit is yeah. that now young people are engaged in mm -hmm. politics, do you know what I mean? Like you would be sitting in a pub on a night out and you hear young people at a different table talking about Brexit, which just yeah. is insane because it wouldn't have been something like when I was 18, I wouldn't have been something that I would have potentially gone out and talked about, but you can see it in schools, do you know what I mean? In cafes, yeah. there's people always talking about it and it's 
it's to, woke the younger yeah, generation yeah, it's up. it's the only positive yeah. that I take. Like when we go in to speak to students in schools, they're really, really engaged. They want to talk to you. They want to know as much as they can about what we're doing, about what's happening in Westminster and what impact that is going to have on them. But the thing what I flip on its head is that if whenever I'm speaking with older people or adults or whatever, um, they're getting this sense of, well, I'm fed up with Brexit now. And you got these young people who are, they just get it over and done with, get it through, or it won't be as bad as people say it is. Um, whereas there's these young people who are now basically throwing a tantrum like we are. Um, because it's so important to us and it's really affecting us. Um, I still find this going into the schools thing that you do fascinating. And I think it's vitally important, by the way. Yeah. So congratulations and well done and keep it up. Just curious. How do you approach the school and what's the reception from, I'm assuming you have to go run it by the head, the headmaster or headmistress, whatever, and you know, what sort of, do you get many rejections? Not really, other than, I think the only time we've ever been rejected is if we've asked and it's been sort of an exam time, like I know that oh, that's okay. the only time that people would have said no, and it was purely based on, we actually don't have time in the curriculum to have said guest speakers in and that was broadly the case with a lot of schools yeah. but it was in and around sort of a uh, module time understandably so they have to teach the curriculum make sure people are prepared for exams but broadly we've had principals and have been really glad to have us in if you could sum up maybe what would be the main one message that you have got from the people and the schools you've spoke to already what's the main thing that you're hearing back um people want to know more whether it's young people or whenever we're Whenever I went in this morning, other te- other teachers came in and joined the talk. So I was pra- I thought I was going to give it to some 16, 17 year olds, but then teachers came in and sat, and then they asked the questions, and young people were asking okay. questions because there is so much uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So people are trying to find someone with the answers. Um, we don't necessarily have all the answers, no, which yeah, it's it's sad when also someone asks you a question and you can't give them an answer. But that's what everyone is at the minute. Um, misinformation would probably be that Can good. I ask um, if anyone does want to maybe get in contact with you, yeah. whether it be a youth group, I'm assuming, a school or any organisation, yeah. how can they get in contact with you? Um, so we have Twitter, which is just at OFOCNI. So that's OFOCNI. Yeah, so on that's Twitter. On Twitter, and then you could send me an email. I'm open to emails from anyone. So that's Derry, my first name is D O I R E at ofoc.co.uk and I have an email like that but it's my first name Pierce P-E-A-R-S-E at ofoc.co.uk okay so anybody want to get in touch with these (laughs) great uh, young people to come and give a talk or listen to your views um, at least they can you know give them the means to do so yeah guys what impact would a no deal Brexit have on your community the North and the island as a whole, do you think? That's a no-deal Brexit. Hopefully it won't happen, but... Hopefully not. Um, as I said, I live in Newry, so I live about a mile from the border, and, you know, I've been speaking to neighbours, friends, and it's going to it's gonna be an absolute disaster. Like, there are people who live in communities that are linked by roads that cross the border that were closed during the Troubles, and it's going to cut communities apart and that was something that I think is being completely ignored. They're all saying, you know, there'll be infrastructure put up and it'll be fine, but as much as that, you know, is important for businesses, there's roads that connect families to one another or that let people get to their local shop and it's, you know, people who have lived in communities like that have seen 
the damage that a border has done and it's still mentally there in their mind that they know what that was like before and it's the attachment of how bad that would be to go back to that and they're then looking at that for you know, their children and saying I don't want that for them and I know that there are people in living in South Armagh who have said that if there's infrastructure put up on the border they won't let it be there and I think one camera is the, the spark to ignite the potential for violence again and I think people are saying you don't need to worry about that and it's not going to happen but I think in a really pragmatic way you need to look at that and say if people have lived through the trauma of a border once before they might not want to do it again and they'll take action to make sure that doesn't happen. I know numbers vary but I think it's estimated that there was up to 300 different crossings yeah. between the north and That's the south. That's only, only roads, that does include rivers, caves, yeah. whatever. Yes, exactly. Um, I will say some statistics on a no deal. So, our future, our choice in the UK, so there, we have a sister um, group in the UK, they done a report with uh, a Professor Thomas Petto at the University of Oxford, who analysed the paper that was given to um, all the civil service in the UK to see the economic implications of a, of all the different types of agreement that could happen for Brexit um, on young people. So they had the free trade agreement, um, WTO rules, and if we stayed in the EEA, were the three thing one, the three main ones. But free trade agreement and EEA seems to be off the cards when it comes to Boris Johnson. So what they um, what was deduced was that on a no deal Brexit, young people on average are going to lose. 100 up to 108,000 pound in potential earned wages, and that's only in the mainland UK. Uh, they suspect that in Northern Ireland the number will be greater, because obviously with our links to the all island economy, um, one of the benefits that we have seen from the Green Friday Agreement is all them roads, them unapproved roads during the troubles, have opened up and have allowed for an all island economy to flourish, um, and for any regression or stifling of that um, trade between North and South would be disastrous for our pockets. I don't know what sounds selfish, but um, but things is basically medicine. Um, whether it's the same medicine, foods, we have to have the same foods, how are we gonna get our food? Um, everything's gonna grind to a halt and it will just make us stagnant and redundant to the real world, um, which completely ruins our economic futures, or our futures in general. So. You know, we've all come so far, and like Pierce and I have grown up as children of the peace process, and we didn't experience, you know, what our parents did, for instance. And I think there's no comprehension with Boris Johnson, who's pushing for a no deal Brexit and is saying things like, do or die, we're leaving, and you know, I would rather be dead in a ditch. And you look at that, and even the language that he uses in terms of a political debate like that is number one, really insensitive to Northern Ireland, particularly when he is treating Northern Ireland as though everything's going to be fine, when in actuality people are aware that it isn't. Like Pierce is saying about medicines, you know, they've said that they're not going to be able to get radioisotopes in for scanning in cancer centres in Northern Ireland, and that's people, that is people's lives in their hands that they yeah. are now threatening. At the minute, people are getting sent down to um, like health services down south because the NHS waiting list are too long. Yeah. So that's our close, close relations that we have. There's mm -hmm. a cancer centre in Donegal, and for, like, so if you live in Derry, you need to go to Donegal for this cancer treatment. If you have congenital heart disease, if you're a baby in Belfast, congenital heart disease, you need to go down to Dublin for that surgery. Yeah. Um, so there's so much cooperation that goes on behind the scenes that literally affect people's very lives mm -hmm. um, that is just being brushed away by Boris Johnson, comparing it the border to Camden and Islington. Mm -hmm. 
um, which is absolutely absurd. Mm -hmm. And we should be concerned, and young people are concerned. Very good. Our future, our choice, advocates uh, are advocates of a people's vote. Can you outline the reasons why this is the best way to resolve the Brexit issue, given where we currently are now? I think, you know, now a no-deal Brexit this afternoon, hopefully, is being outlawed. I would like to think that it will be given royal assent, but, you know, at this, at this stage, who knows? Um, we obviously, for the past year, have been working towards a people's vote in Northern Ireland, and I think now it is even clearer that that is what we need. As Pierce said earlier on, there was so many different varieties of Brexit that people voted for, and you know, to try and bring all of those ideas together has obviously proved to be a hugely difficult task. You're looking at deadlock in Westminster, the talk of a general election, which, in my opinion, I don't think is going to create any big magical solution to where we are now. And I think we've looked at it particularly in terms of how the Good Friday Agreement was negotiated, and there was a lot of obviously alternatives that were put forward before the Good Friday Agreement, but it was negotiated by politicians and then it was sent to every single household in the island of Ireland to go out and say, is this what you want your future to look like? Is this something that you can see your lives being built around? We're then going to vote on that and you know it's been an overwhelming success. It brought peace to the island of Ireland and I think basing it on that, I think it's a really lovely way to look at it and say the politicians have made this deal and I think the people should be allowed to finally decide if that is what they want their futures to look like. Yeah, so in, in the Westminster system, like people hold the overall power, the people vote for people, um, people vote for politicians in Parliament, and then the executive, the government is accountable to Parliament. So you've got three main actors with how things are done, and Parliament can't decide, um, the government can't get it. Boris Johnson is even trying to parole Parliament to um, undercut Parliament. Uh, parliamentary procedure and parliamentary sovereignty so if they can't decide or if they're trying sneaky tactics it has to go to the people they're the only ones that can get out of the mess and I don't understand why Boris Johnson doesn't say look I'm representing the will of the people I will show you what the will of the people is just check it you know like a, like a carpenter measure twice cut once you know playing devil's advocate here folks would a people's vote set a precedent that referendums can be rerun if the percentage of people don't like the original result? Is that democracy? I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that a referendum had been rerun. There are several examples of that in Ireland. And I think it was Switzerland, I believe, this year reran a referendum because the information that was printed on leaflets that were sent out to people was wrong and they were misinformed, which there is obviously a lot of misinformation was bandied around in the 2016 referendum. And I think it wouldn't be set in a precedent that democracy is being overturned. And I don't think that this would be undemocratic. But, but if the people... Um in 2016 voted to remain in the European Union. What would you say to people that were looking to leave them if they wanted another people's vote? I don't think that if we'd voted to remain in 2016 that would have been the end of the question on whether yeah. or not we leave or remain. I mean, people have wanted to leave the European Union for years. That's Nigel Farage who said he spent, what, 25 years and that's been his goal. So I don't think that argument would have ever, that argument will never probably be done. But I think as opposed to crashing out on a horrific no deal now where a lot of people, number one, have changed their minds. I mean, one of our co-founders voted to leave and he then is part of this organisation. So, mm -hmm. so you have to look at that and say and, people and do, do you that. Do you think one of the main reasons why, as Pierce, you alluded to earlier there, is that I suppose everybody 
prior to the vote in 2016 says no there's no way like we're yeah. going to vote to leave um, that there was no real clear information people really didn't know what they were voting for that's all you know the right. benefits of leaving the benefits of staying there was there was no real hard set fast yeah. you know explanation of the reasons why people should vote yeah or nay yeah um well it's definitely unfair to say that everyone that wasn't informed because there were many people who did do the research mm -hmm. and many people came to their own conclusions um but it'd also be naive to say that i would say the majority didn't know exactly what they were voting for um and that's just the problem like it's with a, such a complex issue that is remaining or leaving within the eu there needs to be time spent discussing it there needs to be you need to do it right um if you're gonna have a referendum on it people will say all oh, the discussions have been going on since the 70s but everyone needs to have the same information because remain and leave like we've said it so many times it means so many different things to different people um so if we had to say that's why I don't like using the term second referendum because the question's different and you'd be naive to say that it's not different because it'd be remain in the European Union or, which we can see what that is now, we're living the benefits of that now, or leave with Theresa May's deal or leave with no deal and you have something you can pinpoint facts to. This is exactly how it's going to be. This is what we're voting for. Sure, the biggest argument that I would say, um, what you can see is that lots of socialist left-wing people voted to leave. Do you think that they want to leave in Boris Johnson's terms, on the or like any or Nigel Farage? Nigel Farage and Jeremy Corbyn wouldn't want to leave on the same principles, but they both want to leave. Yeah. Um, they're two vast ends, different ends of the spectrum. I suppose um, I'm just thinking about the Spotlight program. I'm sure you've seen it about Brexit and the Leave group on the dark money that the three yeah. of the ad campaigns yeah, yeah. and stuff like that do. So I think. You know, just when you mention a people's vote now, when you when I think back to the dark money and things like that, was it run fairly at all, the whole vote, in the first place? I think it was run very, very cleverly. Like, it was the first time, really, that for any amount of time that people were emotionally engaged on such a level, and that was on things like the NHS, which obviously is a really, really emotive subject and I think that the Leave campaign was really clever in what it did because it engaged people's emotions and the anger that the country has felt in certain parts, you know, in the north of England where they'd felt ignored by London and it was seen as a, a defiant act of we're going to stand up for the government but yeah. potentially misdirected anger yeah. at Westminster who have been ignoring them but the European Union who have obviously done quite a lot for a lot of communities and I think it probably wasn't run as ethically as it could have been but I think they did a good job in what they wanted to achieve and I mean as much as I don't like it it succeeded yeah so what you'd hear the argument that Brexit is the symptom of solution it's not the problem so political apathy and the effects of what has happened in Westminster over the past years it was built up anger in 2016 so when vote leave just plastered three things across England that was going to happen is that they're going to have a better NHS a better economy and more control over immigration. There were three things that were promised. Were like any sort of deal that's been negotiated, whether that be Theresa May deal or that be Boris Johnson's no deal, doesn't work for any of them three things that were promised at all. So they vote some some people may have voted out of anger, saying it's a basically a middle finger to Westminster by leaving. However, it's just kind of 
uh, multiplied the problems they had before or the reasons why they were doing it, um, which is a shame because it then people have felt disenfranchised for a while. They shouldn't be. It's up to the politicians to get involved um, in the community. So it would have been a failure in the politicians to engage with them people that has caused Brexit to happen in certain areas. Guys, if we do see a no-deal Brexit, do you think a lot of people here who may have previously been content with the status quo start to reconsider their thinking regarding the constitutional question, which is obviously well, a border poll and the likes? Yeah. Um, last year there was a study done that said any form of Brexit, this is, this, I forget the study, I'll try and find it for you and I don't know if you can get out your listeners and I'm sorry because I hate when people say there was a study done and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. what study. Um, but any form of Brexit tips the uni- u- unity question in favour of United Ireland. That's any form and it goes even higher when it's a no deal, okay? So I think the, the same stats transfer to Scotland as well. And I think we've already seen the conversation starting even before Brexit is done and dusted, yeah. like the likes of this podcast, I yeah. suppose, and many other groups. Well, it was last year, I think, when that study came out, actually, it was one of the kind of first times that that had come into mainstream focus. I know it was published by the Belfast Telegraph, and it was last September, I think. So she, she, got, your, she yeah. got she got your study, <laughs> Pierce. We've got each other's back. <laughs> um, but it was the first time, I think, in mainstream media that people had really properly started to talk about it. And I know, I know that there's a lot of young people now actually looking at it and saying, well, for, for economic reasons, is it going to be better if we then are part of a United Ireland and we're still going to be in the European Union, which will mean, you know, we're not going to lose so much money out of the economy, we're going to still be able to travel, I'll still have all of those rights, we'll not have to pay for healthcare, and I think even not take an identity into it, I think a lot of people are now saying, well, we're going to be better off financially, so absolutely, why would we not do that? But the, the thing for me, what I'm scared of, is that I can very easily see the question on Irish unity being very similar to the run-up to mm-hmm. the 2016 election, as in, perhaps if they, they would promise unity, can get you this, promise unity to different things to different people, economic health or whatever. Um, the same thing that I vote leave done with leaving the European Union. Um, so I think Unite in Ireland, it, it, it's not a quick fix, and it shouldn't be a quick fix. The discussion should be there for a long time. Um, everyone needs to be involved, and everyone needs to know exactly what they're voting for, what this specific Unite in Ireland would look like because that's one of the lessons we can take from Brexit um, another thing is you'd also be naive to think that Ireland won't get affected by Brexit also so post Brexit the Irish economy will take a hit and the entire EU will take a hit but mainly Ireland because being such a close trading partner um, and then you only have one chance at Uniting Ireland so if you had to unite Ireland perhaps if you were doing it on economic basis it would be smarter to unite Ireland in the world where the UK is still part of the EU because they are a benefit to you if they're still in the EU. So I think if your interest for Uniting Ireland is to be better off economically or to have the best services available or you know all of the above, it has to happen with a UK that's in the EU. Um, so the two are joined in my, in my view. Yeah, I think that just touching on that, it's what Pierce said is in, you know, there was no planning put into Brexit and that is potentially why it has gone as horrifically 
wrong as it has and I think to then go in from one constitutional issue straight into another one in my opinion would be a really really bad idea I think anything we can learn from Brexit it's that you don't take something that big and that big a decision lightly like you just can't do that but I do think a lot more people are now talking about it which yeah. If you can get everyone involved in that conversation, I think it's a really good thing, I suppose. Yeah, a proper conversation with laid out plans with all sections of the community, civic society, mm-hmm. youth, everybody uh, engaged in the conversation and a proper um, roadwork yeah, laid out. An actual agreement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Guys, tell me this after Brexit has come and gone, what is next for our future, our choice? Where do you see yourselves? Or are you going to morph into something else? Or It's not really something that we've talked about. It's been, I mean, we didn't expect that we would last this long. We were due to leave in, in March. Yes. And, uh, it was not last October. It was last year. Oh, yeah, it was due right. to be, you know, we kind of, and then everything got extended. I think a lot, all of us have really enjoyed being a part of the group. And I think if possible, we'd love to still be able to be engaged in young people in politics. I know I would. And I think all of us have said that that's something that is really really important and that we've all really enjoyed actually is going into schools and speaking to young people or youth clubs and actually getting young people involved in politics so it's potentially something that we could look at doing but trying to fix brexit first yeah (laughs) there's been an absolute we've been so (laughs) flat out for so long um because of all the left and right turns that has been going on so I think a, a break in the immediate future holiday, would be yeah. nice. Holiday, yes. <laughs> um, a Ibiza for a week? Yeah. <laughs> or is that still it, the young yeah. people's destination? Maybe I didn't know. <laughs> if we're still allowed to travel yep. in the EU, that is. <laughs> Guys, tell me this. Describe your vision of Ireland in 20 years' time. Derek? I think I'd like to see an Ireland that has grown as a whole community. Pierce and I were actually talking about that before we came in and there's so many divides in our community but people in Northern Ireland and Ireland are awesome like there's such a lovely sense of humour and everybody you know really gets on with one another and then there's divides between communities and I think I would love to see an Ireland that's semi-nascent if you can grow up in where you don't have any thought of division and yes obviously you remember the past of Northern Ireland and that how difficult that was but that people are able to actually sit down maybe we'll have a government in 20 years in Northern Ireland sitting that would be lovely um, but you know what I mean it needs to be people need to appreciate people for who they are and not I don't think judge them and have that continuation of division in society because it's not right and it's not doing anybody any good. Pierce, your view of Ireland in 20 years time? Um, An Ireland where everyone feels comfortable, where everyone is not making decisions out of fear and they're not making decisions out of resentment or bitterness against him or her or them or us. Um, It has to be an inclusive Ireland that me personally I think has to prioritise the environment for a good long yeah. time because if you had an Ireland 40 years it might be underwater so um, we need to get our priorities straight and hopefully have addressed the issues not ignore them address the issues that have haunted us the people in Northern Ireland for a long time and has dictated a lot of our decisions politics community at every reach of life address them realise the best move forward together um, and there can only be, we can only have a successful Ireland or a successful anything together with everyone. So. Two very good answers. Do both of you see yourselves being in politics in 20 years' time? 
<laughs> you know what? I'm not 100% sure. I love doing what I do now, but if politics is set to continue the way it's, the way it's going... Well, I so you could help change it? That would, well, that would be the goal. Maybe so. Maybe Pierce and I will be leading a party in 20 years. <laughs> you would never know, hey? You would never know. Guys, just before we finish, um, I'll come to you first, Pierce. Who do you admire or hold in high regards in today's society? Um, not what to choose from. <laughs> Terrible thing. No, <laughs> if I'm going to be completely honest, um, our political leadership field us. There's not many celebrities that you'd look to, but the main leadership or who lives at the ideals most that I would love to see people live out would come at my family and in my local community. So. My dad, he's not that involved, well, he can be sometimes involved in politics, but you can see his morals are clearly laid out. They're awesome, like they're just so good, and he's a very dignified man, honourable man, who does, loads of, does loads of work in his community and does a lot of work with the marginalised and the disabled. So if we have to look at the leaders, our current leaders, as they call themselves, our politicians, um, they're not leading, they're, they're, they're not leading the way that I want to see anyway. You have to look closer to home. Derry, same question to you. Who do you admire or hold in high regard in today's society? I think probably for me at the minute it's there's a certain selection of women who are standing in the House of Commons who are being absolutely incredible. You know, Caroline Lucas is standing up for the Green Party, number one. She is standing up for environmental rights, which are hugely important, but she's also having the voices of the marginalised heard, people who haven't voted for a damage in Brexit and she's also a woman and you have to look at that and admire that she is there every single day by herself. The same with Lady Sylvia Herman from Northern Ireland. I think they're both incredible women who are standing up and saying this is what the right thing to do is and it needs to happen. Okay, thank you for that. Final question, we always ask everyone at the end of each podcast. We'll go to yourself first, Pierce. If you could invite three people to your fictional dinner party, who would they be and why? Um need some time to think about this. Uh, I will say John Hume. Okay. Uh, just because the work he work he did, the work what is he he achieved has been so instrumental in the lives of me and Derry and everyone else. How he managed to do it, why he done it, his motivations, that sort of thing. Just to find out more and more of the stories maybe he didn't hear and how hard it would have been to strike such a piece of court. Um, Nelson Mandela for obvious reasons, his campaigning for freedom ending apartheid. And the third one, I don't know, like, Notorious B.I.G., maybe, (laughs) (laughs) Biggie Smalls. You you, you need to invite a female to this dinner party, surely to go. Oh, um, (laughs) I do, you're right. (laughs) Um, He's great, Greg. Sandy Toxvig, she's great crack yeah. from Great British Vehicle. I love oh, her. Oh, very good. <laughs> she's so smart. Derry, same question. Uh, if you could invite three people to your <laughs> fictional dinner party, who would they be and why? Obviously, we're both very Bake Off based. I was going to say Mary Berry. Okay. Because <laughs> I love dessert. There's a little, think... little window into your. What's going on in your mind here? <laughs> no, Tuesday night fun. Um, I'd invite her because I think she would make a really nice cake. And, I mean, I love dessert, so I think that's always a plus. Um, I think I would invite Mo Molan because I think the stories that she would have, and I've heard some of them from when the talks were happening, yeah. she sounds absolutely awesome and I'd love to hear. And then I think probably Jamie Dornan because she needs a bit of eye candy. <laughs> <laughs>
There's no flies in you. Nope. <laughs> Derry and Pierce from um, Our Future, Our Choice. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking Thank to you today. I genuinely feel slightly inspired now. Um, I, and I mean that sincerely. I think what you're doing is absolutely wonderful, uh, especially going to schools and the outreach and getting our youth input and um, trying to put that into good practice moving forward is, is absolutely brilliant work. Um, I know our listeners will thoroughly enjoy everything that you had to say today. I wish you nothing, only success moving forward. Thanks very much. And finally, folks, if you did like our podcast with our future, our choice, a retweet will be appreciated. Take care. Yeah, um, thank, you. thank you, but you can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, our future, our choice, Northern Ireland. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. Bye-bye.